Today's text for us comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear God's word for us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you long for us to grow in delight and joy for the fruit of the Spirit to be exuded in our lives and permeate every fabric of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us in this time now, that we would have the ears to hear and the eyes to see the truth and its robust implications for every facet of our lives. We long for that. We long to delight in you and to experience your delight in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, back in August 20th, uh, 2017, I did something kind of ridiculous. I ran my first 100-mile ultramarathon. Now, just one year earlier, this is what's even crazier, I hadn't even ran a half marathon. And yet I knew in just about a year's time I was going to do something that was absolutely absurd. And so I started thinking through training pathways. And one thing I already knew is that I couldn't just add more miles to what I was already doing. You see, I needed to, frankly, I needed to relearn how to run. And I needed to relearn how the body and the brain work together to actually push through the very limits of human endurance. After I've learned that and ran my first ultra marathon, I have never run the same. Well, we are in a series on change. And today we're going to talk about how we relearn the process of change. Our series is entitled, We Can Change. We have deep hope in the gospel that God can bring about change. And last week, we saw that only love can change you. Only God's love, the kind of love that comes in and through God and through his people, that kind of love can change us. And it's a fascinating framework because another way that this dynamic is discussed is that of attachment. It's the number one or the theory that the number one drive for human beings is connection. It impacts every one of our relationships. Many of us talk about it as being described and formed in infancy, and then the gospel can even meet us there. And one of these most, most central functions for us as human beings and our attachment one to another and also our attachment with God by his robust love and how it then shapes every relationship we have, no matter our family of origin. But today we're asking the question, not just where do we start with change, but how do we change, right? And in this very question, we're going to be wrestling through how do we grow into becoming more like Jesus? Because as followers of Jesus, that's our ultimate telos, our goal, the perfection, right? The perfect human being, the one we all long to, to live into and to be more like is Jesus. Such that even our spontaneous responses in every circumstance we find ourselves might mirror and might emulate the emotions, the words, the actions, the mindset of Jesus himself if he were us in our situations. But like I said, we're going to have to completely relearn how to change. Now, the ironic thing is that we're also going to have to, even here, relearn how our bodies and our minds are integrated together to bring about 
this kind of change. And so to do that, as weird as that may feel, we're going to look back to Romans chapter 12 again, because the earliest of biblical authors had this framework in mind. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it for us once more. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So right here we see the answer to our question, how do we change in view of the mercies of God and all that he's done for us on display in the first 11 chapters of Romans, we are called to respond to God's love with every part of who we are. And if there's one big idea I want you to walk away with today, it's this. You cannot change any part of you without every part of you. You cannot change any part of you without every part of you, your body and your mind integrated together to carry out what God wants to do in your life towards change, okay? So let's take a look together, and let's look at the number one thing in these two parts in this movement of change, okay? Number one, we need to devote every part of your body. You need to devote every part of your body to loving God. Now, in order for that to happen, we need to have a pretty foundational belief that's across the pages of Scripture, and it's this. God gave you a body on purpose with a purpose, that's not normally how we think about our bodies, right? We can come with a whole bunch of different perspectives about these things, our bodies. We might see them as subpar. We might see them as non-essential to change. We might see them as a slight hindrance or even go so far as to call our bodies evil. And so in our goal for who we're becoming as human beings, we might have this framework that the future for us as human beings is this disembodied experience you know, finally enlightened, freed from all the, the physical constraints of what we used to think was human. But that's not what's on the pages of Scripture. Actually, the exact opposite is on the pages of Scripture. You see, God intentionally gave you and me bodies. We see this right at the very beginning of the biblical narrative. When he creates Adam and Eve, he, he creates them embodied. And over them, he says, it is very good. When God becomes flesh, he literally becomes flesh. And he dwells among other enfleshed human beings. And then he dies on the cross in a body. He rises again in a body and ascends to the right hand of God the Father and actually is seated there right now still with a body. And he didn't draw like the short straw and God the Father and God the Spirit were like, sorry, bruh stinks that you got to buy. No, 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 no. Like this is meant to highlight the beauty of God's design that we are created as embodied beings, such that as you continue to follow the narrative of scripture, we find that our end game is actually to be embodied creatures for all eternity. Sure, they will be transformed and there will be no longer any taint of sin, but embodied nonetheless. So what's the purpose? If God gave us these bodies on purpose, what's the purpose? Well, these bodies are extraordinary vessels for change, for change. And so we are to present our bodies as these living sacrifices. This is our spiritual worship, or in other words, this is a true act of loving devotion unto God to present our very embodied beings, all of who we are, to him. So how do we do this? Well, first we need to recognize that our bodies are already devoting their energies to love something right? 
Our bodies are already loving something. The tech industry is brilliant with this. Whenever you click with your hand something on your mouse or your trackpad, like a like on a comment, or you, you know, experience with your eye, which is another part of your body, right, a, a very rich, colorful ad, you, hit, you get this extraordinary dopamine hit. And your body translates that as pleasure. And all of that is reinforcing certain behaviors so they're more natural, more desirable to return to again and again and again. And so it is brilliant how the Apostle Paul, when he begins to lay out his change theory, he starts right here with these amazing vessels of change, our bodies. The second thing we need to recognize is the limitations of just thinking right as a paradigm for change. Like how many times have you known that next bag of chips is like just the wrong decision? <laughs> or clicking on that wretched website or getting that next drink, and yet what happens when the moment comes and the pressure's on? We give into it again and again, and there we are. We need our bodies in ally, as allies in the midst of these battles towards change and growth. And what the Apostle Paul invites us to do is actually to devote our bodies like a sacrifice. Look with me again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or true worship. You see, throughout the history of the world, and especially with Israel, the sacrifice of an animal wasn't just to cover sin. The reason sin was covered was to then open up the lines of communication in relationship with God afresh. It was to cultivate intimacy with him. And so now our worship is offering our lives lived in totality inside of our bodies devoted to him and his purposes like a sacrifice to God. All of who you are devoted entirely to God. It's holy, meaning it's set apart from the rest of the framework of the world and how the rest of the world would maybe navigate your body or use your body or exploit your body. And it's acceptable to God, meaning it's pleasing to him. And the way we talk about this, Allie and I, with our kids, is we say that this makes Jesus smile. <laughs> you know, this is offering your body as a sacrifice is a way to make Jesus smile. It's pleasing to him. Devoting every part of our bodies to loving God in response to his love toward us is essential to change. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute, but one more thing I need to highlight first, and it's this. We need to not only devote every part of our body to loving God, we also need to devote every part of our minds to loving God. Devote every part of your mind to loving God. You cannot change any part of you without also changing every part of you. Mind and body together, they must be integrated, they must be set on the same focus and same purpose. Which is why the Apostle Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, if you have received and are now resting in the secure love of God, this will make you different than the rest of the world that's still aching and looking for this cosmic connection. You will be a different kind of person and it will slowly renovate your mind. You will not be conformed to the destructive practices of this world, but you'll slowly be transformed by the renewing this renovated mind to navigate life in a good way 
that actually is pleasing to God again. It's acceptable, right? And it's in line with God's goals, his telos. That's that word for perfect. It's where everything is headed. You'll actually be able to be in stream with where God is taking the world. And who wouldn't want that? I know I want that. But so often we can read that and think, well, what that means is that I just need to get more truth into me. Then everything will be okay. Well, the problem is, is not that the text is wrong. The biblical authors have brilliant categories for change. It's just often we bring our own cultural lenses to the text. And specifically, we bring an enlightenment category of human nature to the text around the mind that doesn't allow us to see the text robustly. And this, right here, is how we're going to begin to see how presenting your body and renewing your mind come together. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the distinction between the left half of your brain and the right half of your, of your brain, right? We've heard that. The left is logical, it's this analytical processing. The right is more abstract, it's creative, it's big picture. And sometimes people have said, you know what, I'm just left brain, I'm just a really logical person, I don't have a lot of emotions. Or somebody may say, hey, I'm a creative, I'm very right-brained. And while that's partially true, that's not the full story of how the brain works. There's more, more going on, especially by the way that the brain is interconnected by the corpus callosum. But hang with me, okay. There's been a lot in neuroscience and neurotheology to better understand who we are as human beings and how we've come to the text with our own external categories that have limited our understanding of what the biblical authors have always originally intended. You see, neuroscience does not distinguish between the right and the left hemispheres, or does distinguish between the right and the left hemispheres. The left is this conscious decision-making and processing center. It's often referred to as the slow track. You're very conscious of it. You're logically thinking through it. You're aware of what's going on in your left hemisphere. It tends to be organized thought, and it's often where we think change happens. For example, if someone changes their mind, we think that they've logically deduced all the facts in order to come to a different conclusion. That's a very left brain, logical, conscious process for change. And that's not wrong. It's just not the whole truth. You see, the right brain is more abstract and unconscious. And we've come to understand a significant amount more of the right brain processes and how they actually have dominant control over us as human beings. You see, it, it, from your right brain is where you make most of your split-second decisions. This is often called the fast track of the brain. This is where feelings, this is where desires, this is where identity is anchored. How you see yourself, how you see yourself fitting in the world. And it's often in those split-second decisions where we live out of. We live out of our identity. Our impulsivity comes out of our identity, which is deeply anchored within us, often even unconscious, over against a logical process of just making a decision based upon either a utilitarian framework or what have you. You see, our right brain responds and is in communication to so much of our body, not just our eyes, but so much of the integration of our body with various receptors in ways we don't even realize. And you can look across oh, the biblical richness of the categories where they talk about their intestines are turned or their, hearts are, their heart is moving. And we would say, these are weird metaphors, but in reality, more we're discovering in neuroscience and how it's connected with biology is that these different parts of our body are dialoguing in a very deep way. 
And together, this right hemisphere and this left hemisphere, when they're working well and they're experiencing life, it's called synchronization. Okay, so keep hanging with me. This is really important. When both the right and left are working well together, it's called an integral or integrated brain. So let me give you a quick example. This is extremely oversimplified, um, but I'm not that smart, so it helped me understand how to navigate this. When you see something or another part of your body is experiencing something, it first enters the back of your brain, okay? And your right brain begins to process a little bit of this. Most of this is unconscious. It's super fast. Then it slowly moves its way to the front of your right brain, and moves over to your left brain, right behind your eyes, where now you begin to slowly, logically, and analytically process what it is you've received over on this part of your brain. It moves forward, or moves backward rather, and you begin to now be able to, when it gets to the back of your brain, be able to verbally process what you'd initially received in your right brain. It makes a kind of U shape. Right brain is quicker and deeply embedded in our identity, and the left brain is slower and later in the chain, and it's seeking to process what has already been received in the right brain. So why is this important for change? Say you decide, very left brain, right, to stop losing your cool in arguments with a spouse, a friend, or a child. But by the time you seek to implement this change, you've already lost your cool in multiple arguments and disagreements where you're shouting at them. Your right brain, your fast track, your identity is leading the way in ways that you often feel out of control. And what's some of the phraseology we use? That's not who I am. I don't know where this came from. I didn't choose that. It's like it just kind of came out of me. This is our right brain engaging that moment when we're trying to lean into left brain tactics. You see, so often we try. We try to use left brain solutions to deal with right brain problems. We think that just thinking will fix our deep-seated anger, our lust, our selfishness, our insecurity. And that's not wrong. Where the left brain is really helpful is helping us think through strategies on how to actually incorporate our whole body and our whole mind towards change, right? It helps us logically start to put a plan together. But it's not just about thinking better. That's not what the biblical authors would encourage, is merely just getting more truth. It's a broader framework for change. You see, we need to devote every part of our body to loving God, and we need to devote every part of our mind to loving God. And this reciprocal response of love, God brings change. So if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to grow, if we want to know deeper wholeness and health, if we want to be more like the perfect human being that Jesus is calling us to follow after, right? If we're tired of defeat, if you really want change, hear this, hear this. We actually need to practice opening every part of you to God's love. Practice opening every part of you to God's love. We need practices and disciplines that aren't just logical processes, but actually engage our right brain and our whole bodies, which engage every part of our body, every part of our mind, that we might then be consumed as this living sacrifice with God's love, which only love can change us, right? So to be clear, I'm not saying that you might know more about God's love. And the biblical authors are very clear about this. When we lean into this, we begin to actually experience in palpable ways God's love. 
Now, it's also going to be frustrating at times <laughs> because the intimacy that grows in any relationships has its fits and starts. But this is how we're to grow in intimacy with God. Not just knowing more about God, but learning to live with him. Not just logically deducing facts about God, but actually engaging every part of our mind and every part of our body in transformation by the power of the Spirit driven by his love as we rest in his love. And while today we're going to be focusing primarily just on a couple practices here that are very personal, the next couple weeks we're going to lean into the communal ramifications of this because nowhere do we see in the biblical text that genuine transformation is a solo effort. Instead, it is always communal. We actually come with a new family of God, a new family of origin that begins to reset who we are and who we see ourselves in light of God's love. But today... I just want to highlight one way that Jesus so brilliantly displays this whole body, whole mind uh, practice that informs us on the deepest of levels. And then we're going to look at one Christian practice that we can engage in um, to continue to cultivate right brain growth as well as whole mind experience. Okay, so here's the first one, a church practice that Jesus instituted that captures all of this. Baptism. Baptism. Okay, so whenever Jesus gives a command, it is always, always, always for our good. He's not like, here's the worst thing in the world, and it's going to end in the worst thing in the world. It's like, no, it may look like death, it may smell like death, but it's going to lead to life. Always. This is what Jesus longs for. He longs for our best. And this is true with baptism. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells these disciples before he ascends into heaven, you know, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, throughout history, this act, some call it an ordinance, some call it a sacrament, is the space where most Christians would point back to as a validation of their identity in Christ. More than pointing to a prayer, more than pointing to a specific decision, it was their baptism that was so crucial for them to remember that they are genuinely Christ's. Why? One, it was whole-bodied. It was something that engaged all of our senses, right? You actually get in the water or the water comes on you, however that works, and you actually begin to experience something through your body. It's not just an idea that you've consented to, but it's a full-bodied experience. Then also, simultaneously, we understand that this baptism is a means because of its full body and the way that it engages a very framework of our identity, which is a very right-brained reality, it becomes this means for God's grace to actually begin to change us, right? God's grace isn't just a ticket into heaven. God's grace is also an avenue to empower us what we could never do on our own. And so he's slowly reforming us through a whole-bodied practice that is baptism to shape our very identity. And it leaves a full-bodied, full-minded impact on us. You begin to feel the water. It implants into our identity, and it's like a right-brain sensory flood. And then it becomes a left-brain metaphor only after the fact for what it means to be immersed in Christ. Jesus is brilliant. He's always had this framework in mind for how to slowly and continually form us into Christ-likeness. I remember when I was 19 and I was baptized, I still remember coming out of the water and feeling the water flowing off my skin and hearing those words raised in the likeness of Christ's life after I'd been buried in the likeness of Christ's death. And knowing now this moment where all of the church is surrounded, cheering, validating my experience that I am indeed in Christ, 
that in that space, I have communal implications, physical implications, words spoken over me, a whole body, whole mind experience to look back and actually be shaped by as I seek to follow Jesus. Brilliant. Brilliant Jesus once again. Now here's a, a helpful Christian practice that we could engage in, engage in regularly. It's reliving gratitude memories. Reliving gratitude memories. This is what it kind of looks like, okay? So you need to find a space to sit um, and have contemplation. And then think of a memory in your life in which you're grateful. It could be something big, like graduating from high school or graduating from college. Or it could be something really small, like just the sun rose today. And it was a beautiful day. Then name it. Give it like a two to three word um, title. You know, it could be holding on to diploma. And then write it down. And then go back, and I want you to relive that moment in your imagination. And here's what's so fascinating. Begin to ask, what did you feel in your body when you relived that moment? That was the space of joy. What did you feel? Did you feel peace? Did you feel lightness? Did you feel hope? Did you feel butterflies? And then I want you to ask, what might God be communicating to you through that memory and how you feel? Remember, God is with you and longs for you to experience the beauties of life. But so often we can run right past these amazing things that God has done in our life, or we can just write them out, acknowledge them mentally, but not engage them in our imagination and explore how they're actually, even just by reliving that in our imagination, how it stirs up our very bodies in that moment. Compile a list of these memories and spend about five minutes a day re-entering them and just sitting in gratitude to God. This is getting at that deep right brain experience. I encourage you to try that out this week. And maybe you need to pause this, rewind it, and take more detailed notes. But please, please, I want, to, I want you to just give that a try this week. Because listen, you can only change every part of you, or rather you cannot change any part of you without every part of you. And I know it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. It's a little touchy-feely, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it's not necessarily easy. It's not quick. It's not like I can just put it on the back of an index card and go about my day. It involves all of me. And there may even be moments of disappointment still. And it's still going to take time because, listen, we can't get past the broader metaphor of change that it takes time for a seed to become a plant. This is in our insta-click culture, okay? Transformation still takes time, but these paths, a more full-bodied, full-mind approach, will bring, to last, will bring lasting change. And unfortunately, we've just been really deformed by our Western culture. It comes with some gifts, to be clear, but there's also some deformities because it's not the perfect culture. There is no perfect culture, and we need to begin to acknowledge how our individualism and also our left-brain focus in Western culture has actually brought a myopic lens when we come to Scripture. We need to rest in the rich framework of change that we see from our biblical authors, that we see from Jesus himself, and rest in his love, receive it, and allow these practices and these disciplines to engage every facet of who we are. So I want to end with this question. Will you devote every part of you to all of him? Will you devote every part of you to all of him? It's going to take all of you surrendered to him like a sacrifice on an altar. 
That's what he longs for. That's the reciprocity of love he's looking for as he seeks to bring deeper life and eradicate deeper death from you and from me. This is how God wants to change us. It's going to take relearning how we think about change, to be sure, to change to be like Jesus. And he wants your best, and even more than that, he wants you. So will you today lay yourself on the altar? Let's pray. I want to invite you right now just to take a deep breath. And I want to invite you to imagine God as Father, as we're invited to by Jesus himself. A good and loving and perfect Father. And I want you to think about one thing he has provided for you lately as a good father. Just one thing. Sit in that gratitude for just a moment. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now we turn to the Lord's Supper. Another practice that Jesus instituted that involves our whole body and our whole mind. It stirs our imagination as well as engages our senses. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you have communion elements available to you, I would encourage you to partake in the Lord's Supper in this moment, where common bread represents Jesus' body broken for us and common juice represents his bloodshed for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we eat and when we drink, this good news is actually proclaimed to our bodies in a way that leaves a lasting imprint on everyone who partakes in remembrance of him. And so when we partake, let us remember what has been handed down to us. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See the imagery. Look at how Jesus is engaging our imagination here. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, taste and see that the Lord is indeed here.